I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Tomorrow marks one year since the Highland Park mass shooting at the city's annual Independence Day parade. Seven people lost their lives that day, and another 48 were wounded, leaving families and neighbors in deep mourning. One way the people of Highland Park turned their grief into action was to turn a streetside pavilion into a memorial for lost loved ones and neighbors. We're here with the filmmaker and director, John Siskel, who captured this story in an upcoming film called Memorial. Also with us are Rachel Lander and Jacqueline von Edelberg. Both are Highland Park residents featured in the dock and are survivors of the mass shooting last summer. Rachel, what have you been thinking about as we approach the one-year anniversary? You know, as the season has, I guess, begun to change, um, summer and the 4th of July, um, there's been a lot of feelings that have come back um, from last year. And, um, you know, as a survivor of the parade being there, I think it has been, um, honestly, I feel like I've made progress this past year, but it's kind of brought me back some of those those feelings of, of grief um, and and anxiousness. Mm. Um, I think just thinking about the anniversary ahead. Just that date on the calendar. The date on the calendar. Yeah. yeah. Um, and thinking back to what, what happened a year ago, mm-hmm. um, and what we went through and, um, but also I think we've come a long way too. Um, and I, look at my kids and I see how strong they've become since a year ago and how devastated we were and that we've, we've, you know, really grown and, um, and been able to, you know, look at life differently. It's been, it's been difficult, but, um, all in all, I think, you know, Highland Park has got, um, an event planned for the community that uh, will honor the victims in the community well. Yeah. Um, so that might we'll be something see. to look forward to. Yeah, I yeah. think so. But it's it's a sadness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you, Jacqueline? Um, you know, it feels like an eternity ago, and it also feels like it was yesterday. And for those two feelings to exist simultaneously is an odd combination. Um, As Rachel said, we've come very far, um, but every day there's this realization that there is so much further that we need to go and that we must go. And um, so the work since since, um, last summer has been frenetic and fast and powerful to try to make systemic change. What do you remember about that day one year ago, John? I grew up in Highland Park um, and raised my kids there, but I wasn't in Highland Park on the 4th. I was with my brothers in Seattle, and um, it was really early on the West Coast when all of our phones started kind of blowing up with Mm -hmm. this kind of um, totally shocking news. so, you know, immediately uh, my parents still live there, so we thought of our parents and, you know, reached out to them and friends and family. But, um, yeah, just kind of 
unbelievable shock. shock. Yeah. You know, we're going to get to the documentary soon, but uh, I noticed a lot of the folks that uh, John interviewed, they all mentioned going to the parade as being a tradition in their families. What about you two? Similar stories, Rachel? Yeah, so um, I was at the parade with my three kids and my husband, and I've lived in Highland Park for about nine years now, and we've gone to the parade every year since we lived here when they had it. They didn't have it during COVID. Um, And we went to the same spot every year. And I don't know how that came to be, but we ended up just going to that spot, St. John's and Central. Um, And that's how we start our 4th of July in Highland Park. It was just, you know, our kids, we wake up, ride our bikes up there. We have, give them their bags to catch the candy it's just kind of the spirit of, you know, 4th of July in Highland Park. So w- what led you to want to make this film about such a tragedy, John? So, you know, when this happened, um, as a filmmaker, <clears throat> at some point I, I did start to think, like, I'm from there. Mm-hmm. My parents live there. And, you know, is this a story for me to tell? Um, but it was so horrific that I just could not wrap my head around it, and I didn't want any part of it, really, initially. Um, but Jacqueline is a um, an old friend, and she reached out to me probably about a month after and said, you know, I know you're from here, and are you you should come up and see the memorial. And so um, I did that. I went to the memorial. And was just so moved by the stories that I was hearing. I, you know, I didn't have a camera with me. I was just there as, a, you know, individual. Mm-hmm. Um, but people would come up and start sharing their stories, start telling their stories, and it was so um, moving. Yeah. That I felt like, oh yeah, this is my way into to tell this story. You know, I, I imagine it's still difficult. Rachel and Jacqueline, to, to talk about that. In fact, I don't have to imagine. I can see, right? And I can hear it in your voices. So why was it important for you to be part of the documentary? For me, I thought this story of our town, I mean, really, when I chose, my husband and I chose to, you know, raise our family in Highland Park, it was like this is a beautiful place to live. It's a great community. Um, it was like ranked one of the safest places to live in That's right. Chicago area. Um, and, you know, you go on living life thinking, why would anything like this happen here? Um, and I felt so immune to something like that. Um, and I feel like, this really could happen. I, I know it could happen anywhere. It happened to us. Um, mm-hmm. And it's something that is continued to just progressively get worse in our nation. Um, and, you know, I there's so many of us, you know, we're just normal people living our daily lives. And just, you know, some for some reason, this happened to us. And um, wanting to share that 
you know, this could really happen to anyone. Um, and in addition, I think, um, you know, the film was based on the memorial. And um, I, I really appreciated Jacqueline's memorial um, and would go up often to just kind of walk through. I may not have, like, spent, like, you know, a ton of time there, mm-hmm. but I would walk up. Um, Describe it for us. Um, so it started off um, with, you know, this the ribbon, the orange ribbon, and then it became full of yarn and lights. And I noticed that it just started expanding with more art and chalk and then music, and people just started gravitating towards this corner. Mm. Um, and she would put things out that allowed people to start contributing their own creativity to the memorial. Um, and there was a point I remember, you know, pe- people would bring flowers, and then after a couple of weeks, they started to like wilt and die. And I'm like, what are people going to do with these flowers? And she like took them and brought them back to life, and it was like, thank goodness, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, And it was just like she kept this hope alive. And Mm. I think, like, after something so tragic, um, it was we didn't let this despair, like, just take us. Um, And she offered this memorial to give us hope, give us a place to go to um, and have support and to lean on each other. Yeah. And I really found it healing. Yeah, I did. How and does that make you feel, Jacqueline? Yeah. She, she said you kept hope alive. That's so yeah. sweet. That's no. really yeah. oh, so nice. Yeah. I knew that John was the right person to tell this story and to give it the kind of poetry that it needed and the sensitivity that it needed. Um, and I knew that in John's hands he would somehow be able to capture the most important thing, uh, which was twofold. One, I just wanted him to capture the beauty of the memorial, the humanity that was there, Mm -hmm. which was just, you know, off the hook. Because that's ephemeral and it was going to go away. And I didn't want that, that, I didn't want that beauty to go away. But the second thing that I really trusted John to do was draw the connection between the violence that's happening on the south side of Chicago and the west side of Chicago and the north side of Chicago in a way that would have um, meaning because the memorial was actually the literal thread that connects us all. Mm. This is fabric that has been all around Chicago. It's been in Inglewood and the west side and north side. It has been all around the country to um, vigils and protests. It's been at Tree of Life. It's been on the lawn of the United States Capitol three times. And it was actually all in Highland Park a full month before the shooting. It's 30,000 pieces of orange fabric that represent all the kids who've been killed since Sandy Hook till now. And we had an event with Moms Demand Action and Students Demand Action 10 days before the shooting. 
And activists ended their remarks by saying this could just as easily be our own kids. And then, you know, a few days later it was. Yeah. But the surprise that it could happen in Highland Park was not a surprise to me. As a person from Chicago, where the people I know, um, where gun violence is a daily part of life, it's there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. For me, it wasn't, how could this happen here in Highland Park? It was, how could this not happen here in Highland Park? Because this is all of our reality. Mm. And I trusted John to bring that message and that clarity and that call to action home in a way that would be um, accessible and poetic. John, that's deep. And that, that certainly puts as a filmmaker, some, some pressure to get this mm-hmm. right. Yeah, there, there was a lot of pressure. Um, it's just a, a huge responsibility to, to carry and take these stories and um, share them with a wider audience. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I felt it um, every day. So let's hear a little bit from the documentary. Uh, a quick warning for folks listening now. Uh, the clip that we are about to play will include details describing the event. I was in disbelief. I knew immediately it was gunshots. And I remember standing up and freezing. Absolutely, I was frozen. There was so much chaos. There was screaming. All of a sudden, we see kind of sprinting down the road, a bunch of kids in like the Highland Park bands kind of t-shirts with their instruments, um, yelling something. At first it was indistinct. And then as the kids got closer, they were yelling, run, shooter, run, shooter. As soon as I saw the wave, the wave of people running, um, it was not. It was not right. And my husband yelled, kids, run, Rachel, run. And I just froze. And I remember thinking, I am already out of breath. How can I run? You know, John, I, I found it interesting to, um, to, to see the, the, the drone shots that you included as well. Really powerful. They were over these empty streets. Um, I think it allowed for my imagination to just fill in the details that I was hearing from those different voices. I mean, talk more about your decision there. I mean, I feel like this is part of you wanting to just avoid sensationalizing this this tragedy. Yeah, I, I yes, exactly. I mean, I, I didn't want to do any of that kind of sensationalistic um, imagery. Um, and again, the the approach was to honor, respect, cherish, um, and kind of lift up uh, these voices. Um, And one of the choices that I made very early on, and it was, I arrived at it very quickly at the memorial, having these conversations with people at the memorial, was to not do the interviews on camera. So it was only audio. partly because I didn't want to stick yet one more camera in their faces. Um, the community had had a lot of that. Yeah. Um, 
but also I felt like I didn't want people distracted by the backgrounds that we might be filming in or by the person's face. It was, again, this concentrated focus on the voice. I wonder, Rachel and Jacqueline, if seeing the final product, um, did it bring up anything for you about how the Highland Park shooting or other mass shootings that we've seen are covered in the media? Well, I think that's the real gift of John's documentary is that it presents it in a way that cuts through the what is now ubiquitous imagery and talking head version that happens now on this sort of conveyor belt sushi tragedy that's the steady diet that we have, which is very easy to become numb to. Um, my time at the memorial... I mean, because I was there every day on the ground doing collaborative craft with people. So for me, it made me so happy to see, I want to say, like, my friends again. The memorial brought together people because of the diversity of the victims. There was a diversity of people that came every day. Mm -hmm. And that And you hear some of the diversity in the film with the the Spanish speakers. Right, John? Yeah. The humanity of it was so profound and so joyful. There's a part in the documentary where, where someone says, I'll never be the same. Yeah. yeah. You feel that? Yeah, for sure. You know, you kind of, you second guess kind of people to some extent, um, or strangers, I should say, right? Um, and I think over time, it'll get easier, and it has, Um and so I do see progress, but I, I do know we still have a really, you know, long way to go. That's Jacqueline Von Edelberg and Rachel Lander, Highland Park residents and survivors of the Independence Day Parade shooting. And John Siskel, a filmmaker and director of the Memorial Documentary. Let's hear more from Highland Park shooting survivors about what life has been like a year after the tragedy and their push for gun safety reform. Elliot Lieberman is a physician leader with the nonprofit advocacy group March 4th. And Scott Tinkoff and Martin Rossin are board members of One Aim Illinois, a nonprofit working to end gun violence in Illinois. A lot's happened in the past year. How are you feeling about the anniversary coming up, Martin? It's, uh, it's tough, to be honest, right? Um, it, it feels like a long year. Uh, my wife and I were, were just talking this morning. We were at the parade with our young girls and our goal is really to just to get through this week whole. Um, you know, we all, all four of us in the entire community has, has been impacted. And uh, I think Elliot, Scott, and myself have all turned that into advocacy work that's, that's helped us uh, integrate the, the experience we had a year ago. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's been very, very hard. Scott, how are you feeling as we approach the anniversary? Yeah, I think what Martin said is is very true. Uh, trying to get through uh, this week, some of the joy that always was kind of this you know middle of summer celebration uh, has been taken away. Um, but you just try to uh, stay strong for our kids. Martin and I both have young children, and uh, you know just try to get through this step by step. What's on your mind, Dr. Lieberman? Well, I think it's. I think it's certainly been a struggle. I don't think I ever would have imagined that this tragedy would have happened to anyone close to me, let alone myself. 
And although my family and myself were all thankful that no one, you know, that we know personally was injured, we see the emotional scars and wounds within our friends, neighbors, and even in our own home. It's not easy to drive down Central Avenue in Highland Park and avoid reliving that day. You can, in your mind, see the gun smoke again filling our streets and envision hundreds of people running toward you in fear. So as we reflect on this one year, I think it's important that, you know, again, we remain thankful that no one that we know personally was injured. However, you know, we've learned to use our voices to really push forward and do everything in our power to prevent this from happening in another community. I'm going to stick with you for another moment, Dr. Lieberman. Talk more about how you've seen the Highland Park community really come together, especially thinking back to the first few weeks after the parade. I think that there were a lot of unknowns at first. People didn't, at least in the first few hours, of course, even know if there was safety walking down our streets as the uh, perpetrator had not yet been apprehended. Mm -hmm. And then I think the focus thereafter was making sure that all the kids were able to get on their camp buses and and resume normal lives and and not let this, this fear of not knowing where in the world is safe overtake us. We have to return to our normal lives. And for me and, and a few others in the community, take this as an opportunity to prevent mass tragedy in other places in this country. Do you plan on attending any memorial or Independence Day events? I think that for tomorrow, our family in particular has always been very much focused on our, on our own healing and being together. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to spend some time together with the people that we're with every single year and just make sure that we're checking in on each other and giving each other the attention uh, that we need. We, we pay respects to those who were victim to this tragedy on a regular basis and visit the memorial in town. Um, so we're going to take tomorrow to heal for ourselves. I imagine, Martin, that you know, people cope in different ways after a tragedy like this. Can you talk us through your process? Yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to. And, and um, I agree with everything Dr. Lieberman said. It was, uh, I think it was shocking for us all. And what our family has really tried to do uh, is focus on the positives that you that, that you can find here. Yeah. And be grateful um, for, um, you know, our, our direct family being safe and then, and then try and give back. So, you know, immediately after... The event, thinking the, the next day, mm-hmm. um, I, I was just overwhelmed with the amount of support, love, resources that that were poured into Highland Park um, from all of Highland Park, all of the surrounding suburbs, Chicago, and really across the country. Um, uh, I went to Highland Park High School the very next day. They are, they already had um, counselors available. Um, grief counselors who are dedicating their time. Right. Um, and I, I view that as the start of my, my healing and integration journey. Um, and I'm proud to say and encourage others, uh, all four members of my family, myself, my wife, and our two children have all received uh, mental health um, services, th- you know, therapy, counseling. Um, and it's been incredibly in- invaluable um, mm. to to managing this experience. And uh, and integrating it into our lives. So one of the things we learned early on is that we don't have the option of, of it not happening anymore. It happened. Um, it happened. Um, it happened to our community. It, it was a tragedy and, and uh, you know, a horrific act against our society and our community. Um, but we have to move forward together. Um, and so the way that it's brought the community together and, and shown that 
that, that love is, is more powerful than hate um, was a really beautiful thing. And, and we can get into it a little bit later, but you know, part of my healing journey then moved into the advocacy effort. Moved into the work. Mm-hmm. Scott, on that note, when and why did you feel activism was the next best step for you? My wife and I have always been highly involved in uh, different causes, mostly around children, athletics, um, special needs. And uh, as soon as uh, we experienced this, you know, we spent three hours uh, huddled on the floor of a gas station with our two young boys. Um, you have a lot of time to try and process that uh, in the moment and certainly a lot of time to process it thereafter. And you're left thinking about it. Um, and as uh, both Dr. Lieberman and, and Martin mentioned, um, you're trying to find a way to turn that anxiety, turn that grief, turn that pain into something positive. Um, and so within days, uh, both my wife and I started looking for other opportunities in the community to get involved, uh, to ensure that this wasn't happening elsewhere, but also realizing that not only were we the lucky ones, um, but Highland Park, you saw all of the the outpouring of support from all over. Mm-hmm. And there are other communities that don't get that same level of support when these things happen. These mass shootings get uh, a lot of attention, but there's gun violence every day across this country. And uh, really wanted to do something uh, and found one aim uh, as a place where our voices were heard, but also were heard in a way that was making real change with uh, legislation in policy uh, that can really impact our families, other families, and people across the state. Dr. Lieberman, I, I want to ask you the same question. Um, you know, why did grief turn into action? Because you're also involved with March 4th, right? That's an organization pushing for an assault weapons ban at the federal level. Absolutely. So right after the parade, my wife wound up joining quickly with March 4th and went to Washington, D.C. And she's also a physician. She's a pediatrician. And what we realized was that the public health message and data that supports a lot of this legislation really wasn't being brought to the table in the right voice. So what we have really created in the past year is a coalition of gun safety experts and physicians and injury prevention prevention experts from across the country and really allowed them to engage in those discussions with their specific federal representation. What we saw last year right before the Highland Park Parade was really the first significant piece of legislation, the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, being um, signed into law right after the parade, but really passing Congress before the parade, um, what we saw was the ability for bipartisan support for gun safety legislation. And things don't happen overnight, but Mm -hmm. it's really that momentum from that piece of legislation that we can then drive the discussions to bring us closer to the goals that we really need to meet to make communities safer. Uh, Let's get back to you here, Martin, and shift to talking about One Aim Illinois' efforts over the past year. So the January assault weapons ban, uh, it was almost immediately under attack, right? What goes through your mind as you encounter those kind of setbacks? There, the setbacks were expected, or the, or, or the challenges were expected. Is there any part of you that, that's questioning if a push to ban assault weapons is the right move, though? Not at all. <laughs> Why not? No, no, no questioning. Um, and and for, first, I, I want to just... Um, Again, thank Dr. Lieberman for his work. I, th- I think it's important to recognize that 
gun advocates have been incredibly uh, organized historically. Um, and, and gun violence prevention groups have been more scattered and, and less organized. And I, I think we see those outcomes in our society today. So I, I want to celebrate the number of groups that are working towards these positive aims that are bringing amazing resources and are forming a, a coalition, right? So, so we're all working together and stronger. And so while one aim is focused on specifically Illinois, mm-hmm. um, it, it's the things that March 4th and other organizations are trying on a federal level are incredibly important, albeit even tougher. Um, so in, in Illinois, uh, we are really proud of the federal or the, the state level assault weapons ban and, and high caliber magazines um, that were banned. We knew it was going to be tested. Uh, I think everyone felt really strong about the legal basis. Um, and so that's that's all playing out in the courts now. But um, one aim as an organization um, doesn't have any concerns, any, any true legitimate yeah. concerns about it, it, it being repealed. What progress have you seen through your work? At one aim, Illinois. So you know that was a, was a big piece of legislation that we're thrilled with. The the other that got less press, but also is really important, uh, was just this past May. Um, there was legislation passed that uh, repeals immunity that gun manufacturers had from deceptive marketing practices. So things like advertising guns to kids mm-hmm. uh, with pink uh, spray paint. Um, Truly advertising guns in a a paramilitary, uh, true assault weapon, military-grade basis as as a reason to to buy and own a gun. Things that are are just audacious. Um, They could do with impunity. And so now in the state of Illinois, uh, just like any other consumer product, um, they can be held accountable for how they're marketing um, their products to our communities. Dr. Lieberman, uh, with March 4th, what progress have you made in recent weeks on the federal ban? I think there's been a lot of exciting things that have happened in the past year. And even though we are currently in a split Congress, there has been quite a bit of movement. On on June 13th, the House representatives signed uh, three different discharge petitions for three different uh, gun safety bills. And this move is really important because it shows that the majority of members, of the, mostly on the Democratic side, um, in the House of Representatives are in support of this legislation, and it is critical for them. They signed these petitions for the assault weapons ban, expanded universal background checks, mm-hmm. and closing the Charleston loophole, which prevents gun purchases uh, to move forward if, by default, if a background check has not been completed within three days. And if they can get 218 members in Congress in the House uh, to sign these discharge positions, then it reflexively will require a vote on the floor. So we are demanding a debate for these bills because they're critical for saving lives. What one aim has been able to accomplish here in Illinois is really important. What we do see across the United States is strong state gun safety legislation is very important. These gun laws work. But what's also important to know is that guns don't know borders. And it is important to continue to push for all of this on a federal level and to use the evidence from the states to show that these laws work. Right. Well, we're, we're just about out of time, Scott. But if someone isn't convinced by this point that we need an assault weapons ban, what do you hope they take away from this conversation today? I hope that people see that this can happen anywhere, uh, that this impacts real people. And even if you haven't um, felt the impact of gun violence, um, 
you know, that there are so many people grieving and dealing with it. Uh, and also, I, I think echoing what Dr. Lieberman just said, uh, as far as, you know, strong state legislation leading mm-hmm. to national policy, uh, the more that we can all get together, uh, make changes locally, have our voices heard, get involved, uh, the more change that we can see uh, and the safer our communities will be. Scott Tinkoff and Martin Rossen are board members of One Aim Illinois, and Elliot Lieberman is a physician leader with March 4. Thank you all so much for sharing your experiences with us today. This episode of Reset was produced by Micah Yason and Andrew Merriweather, and it was edited by Ethan Schwab and Stephanie Kim. For more conversations about how the headlines affect everyday Chicagoans, subscribe to our podcast. That'll do it for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll talk to you tomorrow morning.